All right, guys, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Bearded Advocate. I'm your host, Alex Pappas, and today I am joined by James. James, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So go ahead and give us a quick rundown of who you are and what brings you on today. Well, I'm James Geiger. I had cerebral palsy. It's a neurological disability. Got by a birth defect for me, it was due to a lack of oxygen before I was born. And what brings me on is I just want to get my story out to as many people as possible. What's good? I've actually been interviewing quite a few people with cerebral palsy lately. I had one earlier today and, and earlier in the week, so I'm, I'm familiar with it. Um, been, been having a lot of stuff around it. So how long have you kind of been in your advocacy stage of this? Because I know for those of you who don't know, we, we know each other from the DLC. It's one of the um, closed groups that were in the Diversibility Leadership Collective. Um, so we met, met in there and are in a couple other Zoom meetings from time to time. But uh, I guess, how long have you been in the advocacy space? Well, naturally, since my disability is so big and beautiful, I'm kind of, I've been kind of forced it my whole life because Every day I have to prove myself to everyone I meet. Every new person, I have to big stereotypes and say, hey, I'm not my stereotype. Past your preconceptions, get to know me and listen to what I'm saying. Don't assume me, listen to me. Mm -hmm. And I've had to do that from the day I started walking and talking because of society stereotypes. Kind of the the, the prejudging that they put on on people. And and that is something, you know, we we talk a lot about on the podcast because there's there's two different sides to disability. There's the overly visible side. um, I mean, like your condition. It's, it's kind of something that is a lot more visible compared to myself. Like I have ulcerative colitis. It's completely invisible disability. Granted, you might see a little weight change and, and some mood changes here and there, depending on how it's mind's acting up. But yeah, it's, I always ask because some people are a lot more motivated to advocate than others based on their experiences. And, and for some people, it's like, you know, one instance is what caused them. Hey, look, I really need to start talking about it. or really need to start advocating for both myself and other people in my community. I'm going to take a minute and jump jump right off into the deep end, if that's okay. Go for it. Um, one of the things I always say is, I didn't ask to be, to have a disability. Mm-hmm. So why do I have to being an advocate every day of my life, I didn't ask to be, but like I said, I kind of have no choice. Mm-hmm. And that sucks in some ways. It really sucks because I cannot just go down the street enjoying myself because I have to worry about how people are going to react to me and 
what if Elizabeth makes fun of me and I have to keep all my eyes and ears open to people's reactions. So I can say, hey, no, check yourself, check yourself, because I'm not who I see. Yeah. And it sucks that I have no choice but to be in that situation. No, and it's 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 kind of interesting having that. I mean, on both sides, whether you have a visible, a visible or invisible disability, the <clears throat> I guess coming to terms with what you're dealing with and and proving to other people what you're going through on, on both ends. So, for those of us that have an invisibility invisible disability, we're constantly trying to prove, hey, look, this is something that actually affects us, even though you can't see it. Sometimes there's pain that's associated with it. You know, everybody, I'm sure everybody struggles with mental health at some point, you know, in their journey and on a regular basis versus on the flip side, you know, you're having to deal with, Hey, just because of how I look, there's a lot more to it. Like there's a lot of things I can still do. There's a lot of things I can overcome. And because of what I'm going through it, you know, it, it makes us stronger, makes us more adaptable, makes us more intuitive. And and able to kind of adjust to our environment. And a lot of people stop at, you know, just the, the picture that they see. Oh, for someone like myself, oh, you look fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, you, you're, not, you're not dealing with anything versus in the background, there's like five, you know, five dumpsters on fire that we're dealing with that nobody else sees, but we, you know, we feel. And on the flip side, you know, they stop at, hey, this is how you look. They don't want to go past that. They don't want to learn anything beyond that. And it's, it's interesting how on both sides we're dealing with, hey, you know what, we have stuff that we're dealing with that you don't quite understand, but if you took the time and, and learned about us beyond what we deal with on a regular basis, you know, we're really smart, we're really passionate people, we care a lot, we understand, and we're more, you know, empathetic to what other people are going through. There, there's so many things that we learn from being part of the disabled community from our experiences. And a lot of people need to take the time to realize that. Mm-hmm. So I guess, what are some of the big things you want to focus on and, and kind of educate people on outside of, hey, you know, I'm, I'm more than what I just look like, for example? I, I just would like people to understand that we are more than what we seem. That I'm not the stereotype that's seen on TV or in media. I have a master's degree. Mm-hmm. I've done TED Talks. I have my photography business. So I do all these things just to break stereotypes and say, hey, I am. Uh, I don't want to say it, but on the other hand, I do. I am not defined by my disability, but my disability is part of my identity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. And you said, you said photography, right? Yes. What, what out of curiosity do you shoot? Because I, I, I do a lot of nature on the side as a hobby. I do a lot of portraits. Portraits, okay, okay. What do you shoot with? Portraits and events. Portraits and events. What do you shoot with? 
brand-wise? I used to, I used to do the Canon 70D. Okay, that's, you know, that's nice. I use, I use a, like, entry-tier Sony. I have an A6400, but I, I have a nice uh, okay. macro lens that I love using. So, I'm I always curious because I do it. I had to sell my equipment a couple of years ago. I haven't taken pictures in years, which oh. makes me very sad. Yeah, it's 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 a really. I talk a lot uh, a lot about photography when it comes to mental health because for me, it's it's one of the things I can do where I really relax and kind of just separate myself from everything that's going on, and. Like I love nature photography and I love macro photography, which for people that don't know is really close up photography. And some of the best photos that I've taken have been on some of the crappiest of days. Like it just finished raining. It's all crappy and cold out. Nobody wants to be outside and you're still able to take like this amazing picture in, in a way for me, it put, you know, kind of into perspective, like, Hey, just because there's a whole, you know, it's maybe not the nicest of days, or maybe, you know, you're going through a rough time. There's still some beautiful things within it if you take the time to kind of look, which is really, really what I love about photography. What I love about portraits is I love to tell a person's story from one frame. Mm-hmm. That's why I like colorful. I like very moody images. And mm-hmm. I love to be able to tell the story through a picture yeah no it's it's incredibly powerful being able to take you know something that's going on some mood that somebody's going through or an event and in one picture just capture so much that's going on and be able to tell oh you know this person's here they're doing this they're getting married all this out of just a single picture and when you have that nice detail you can say oh you know they're they're really loving what they're doing, the smile on somebody's face or the, just the mood and the energy. You can almost feel the energy coming off of a photo when it's done right, especially when it's mm-hmm. a people. You, it may have been at this crazy party or festival or maybe once of a year event that they do in, in certain places, and you can still get some of that energy out of it at times too. Yes. So. Oh, okay. Photography, photography talk aside. <laughs> so, okay. So you're not doing photography as much anymore. It's been quite a while. So no. what do you, what do you do for a career on a day-to-day basis? If you don't mind me asking, I know, I know you've talked okay. a little bit about it in the DLC, but I feel like we got to touch. touch so a little more let me kind of go through the whole story. Okay. Um, it may take a take a little while, but That's fine. I graduated in 2013 with my master's in instructional technology. Uh, master's, in, master's in education from USF and Tampa, go forth. Um, um, and right after college, I attempted to uh, get interviewed and get hired somewhere. But I'm sure you can imagine, uh, I was turning my resumes and I get interviewed. Right away when I would walk into those interview rooms, you could see the basic change. Because they heard my voice 
they diamonds and you, you, you know how that goes. And so getting the job proved to be really, really tough. Mm-hmm. Now, when when I was in college, Uber was just starting up. Now, I hate driving. I really hate driving. But because I was um, not having any luck with getting a career, I tried Uber for a little while. And it turns out I loved it. I loved driving people around and had tons of fun. But I had a couple customers accused me of being drunk. They accused me of being drunk because of the way I talk. So I'm like, this, I'm done with this. So I tried food delivery. Mm-hmm. Like Uber Eats. Because food doesn't talk back. Nope. And I, I enjoyed on the food delivery for Uber. So I decided to start expanding. And I was doing DoorDash and Instagram and GoPub. All of them I was doing, and I did that for years. And I, um, I was a web designer on the side. I, I designed using Wix and Squarespace, and I, I was a visual designer. Mm-hmm. So then COVID hit in two thousand, and. I remember the day like it was yesterday. I had the food one, and it was March 31st. Masks were just being implemented and being mandatory. Mm-hmm. And Uber, Uber and all these platforms had this policy where there were no contact deliveries. But I, with the physical disability, can't walk upstairs. So what I would have to do is I would text the customer and say, hey, can you come down and meet me? Because I can't do stairs. So I was on the delivery. The customer was upstairs. I asked them to come down. This lady proceeded to throw my ass out. She's like, you're putting my life at risk for me having to come down and meet you. You're putting my life at risk. Because of COVID. And that scared me. I'm like, I do not want to be the cause of someone getting COVID, that I cut cold turkey. Mm-hmm. So, all throughout 2000 and 2001, I kind of did my own thing. Lived off of grants and whatnot. And then at the ending of 
And they came back to me with a smile and said, yes, we'll, we'll pay the rest of your tuition so you can get into the school college slopes. So I'm now in week five of that slopes. I'm kicking ass, taking names. It's kicking my ass, but I'm living it because we have a big student community on Discord. We meet every night to help one another with coding and we have instructor meetups once a week. Mm -hmm. And once you get through the course, and they, the career people will work with you one-on-one -on -one until you get your first job. And you have lifetime access. So they say things change in a couple of years technology-wise. Oh, yeah. You will have access to all the learning that they will provide. So that's kind of my whole job journey. I'm really banking on that slope. It has to work because I'm sick of trying everything else. Well, and, and so, to think that you have, you know, you have a master's degree as it is, and you're still struggling to, to find working opportunities. I mean... To, to think having a master's degree and, and having to do Uber Eats and, and Grubhub and, you know, DoorDash, that just, that just shows you how much of an impact and, and how much the normal community judges somebody with a disability just right off the bat, that you could be the most educated and qualified person for a job. And just because you, you know, you look, sound or act a little bit differently because of what you're dealing with. Nope, you're not qualified. And that's that's crazy. That just it, it blows my mind. And it blows my mind that there's still that level that someone would be like, you know what? This is the best person for the job, but we're gonna take the average Joe that meets the minimum requirements because you know what? They look normal. Like no wonder why, no wonder why progress takes so long here in the United States, because the, the culture is just so around, you know, if it, if it doesn't look good, then it can't be, can't be worth my time. Nobody it's puts so time into learning. Backwards. It's so bad. We're, we're, um, we're so much of a throwaway society nowadays where we don't take the time yeah. to learn, rebuild and repair. And, and, you know, part of that is, is understanding the value of something beyond it's just face value, which is so important. It's really sad. Um, one, one of my best gig economy jobs was Amazon. I drove Amazon, mm -hmm. um, paid 15 to 18 an hour. That's the job so much. Um, but you have the three, four, five hour blocks that you work. And sometimes I have like 90 packages to deliver in four hours. For mm -hmm. anyone that's allowed to deliver. But a couple of times, the, there would be just too much, too many packages. And I would, out of my 
hard work and effort. I would go over my time and make sure every baggage was delivered before I went home. Um, uh, I got an email one day that said, uh, Mr. Geiger, uh, our records indicate that you've been late with the view packages. Um, this is not acceptable. You are hereby terminated uh, this moment, and you can never leave thy dramas on again. I had no violations, no complaints. I was just late, and they knew I was disabled. How messed up is that? It's, it's so... It's so broken and so backward here in the United States. And so you are the 74th person that I've interviewed on the podcast, um, both, you know, last year and in the restart of the episodes this year. And I can say every single person that I've talked to is incredibly knowledgeable, passionate, and really, really good people. Like I'm, I'm not a social person. I know I run a podcast. I'm, I'm normally super antisocial because I only like to socialize with people that I, I say are on the same level as me. You know, we have this level of understanding, certain level of, you know, intellect and, and just drive in general. Um, and I, I meet some of the best people I know and, and best people I've run into both personality, knowledge, and, and, just all around skills I've met on the podcast. Like there's so much knowledge that I talk to. And sometimes I come on here and I'm talking to people that have, yeah, a single master. Some people have double masters and they're treated like they're not worth anything. And it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind because there's so much knowledge. And I usually talk about it just in the medical field aspect because there's so much knowledge on our side being, you know, patients or individuals that have disabilities and, you know, how the medical system treats us. But on, on a professional side as well, you know, the amount of extra work or effort that we have to put into our careers or, I mean, temporary jobs, depending on, on how long they keep you for is crazy. And in America, you know, 20% of the workforce does 80% of the work. So why is it so hard for somebody with a disability that puts this extra effort in that has this extra knowledge to get these positions when there's 80% of the workforce is doing 20% of the work and, and sitting around doing nothing mm. underperforming, not being able to meet quotas, you know, pushing their work on other people that, that can, you know, do that extra work yet someone that's willing to put in effort time and you know maybe needs an accommodation maybe needs a little more time but doesn't complain about the jobs happy to get it done enjoys what they're doing and oh nope they're underperforming because they have a disability or, or a condition and i ran into that um kind of with my my second retail job at best buy and you know retail jobs sales environment you're tracked on your sales and yeah, Best Buy, they track, you know, your, your core items that you sell, your accessories, how often you attach like protection plans and everything. And when I was, when I was having a really bad flare up, I was still, I was third in my department for sales out of about a 12 person sales team. And I was still getting written up left and right because I was having a flare up. I was in the bathroom more, maybe, you know, I was low on energy. So I, I didn't always wasn't always the peppiest when I was around my coworkers. Cause you know, you could fake it so much for customers, but 
the mm-hmm. customers aren't around, you want to, you know, you're still exhausted from what you're going through. And it, it just blows my mind. I was an excellent employee and I was getting written up left and right because, oh, I was underperforming compared to what I normally was. Like, God forbid somebody with a disability or a chronic illness has a bad day and they're still one of the best people in their department. Oh, but that's not enough. That's not good enough. Like, where does that mindset come from? It drives me crazy. It, it, it really sucks that people like myself bust their ass day in and day out, and yet we're still struggling to survive in this society. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to get disability benefits, but because I work too much, I work too many hours, I'm denied benefits. Yeah. Now, in my opinion, if you are medically disabled, you should automatically get benefits mm-hmm. because it is hard enough for us to live in this society. So why not make it that if you are medically disabled? that automatically qualifies you. I don't understand that logic at all. Because it, it keeps you trapped in poverty. That's what it does. And, and unfortunately, that's, that's how the system works. Because, you know, there, there are people that are out on permanent disability. And in America, it takes almost, I think it's over 400 days on average to actually get approved for disability in the U.S. And ton of paperwork and you know you can hire lawyers to help you which is expensive to get actually approved for but yeah it's around 400 plus days to get approved and with that you know they give you a set amount of income and they they limit on top of it how much additional income that you can make and if you're lucky enough where you can figure out a way to make income that doesn't directly affect your income in the form of you know an um, S corp or C corp or non, you know, nonprofit, um, mostly the S corp and C corp where you can take profits out without it directly going into your, your earnings. That's great. You know, some people are able to start a business up and get it to that point, but you generally need to build up to it. Whereas, you know, if someone is trying to start a small business, a lot of that comes back on your personal income and you can't even get it grown up all that well before kicking yourself out of the disability program and, and being able to receive payments. And it comes back to the, they, they keep you trapped in poverty with it because they don't want you to make any more money. And a lot of people, they don't risk doing anything and hopefully starting something and building something for themselves because they depend on that disability and the healthcare that comes with it. And if they do anything to jeopardize it, now they're in an even worse place because they don't have the coverage necessary or they don't have a way to you know pay rent or their basic medications. And I, I agree with you. When you qualify for a permanent disability, it's not going away. It's not this magical thing that just disappears. You should have some form of, hey, by the way, Thanks for helping me out, government. And I think the government would, in the long run, benefit from it because those of us that have a disability, like you know yourself and I, I work a 40-hour-a-week job. You've been doing all kinds of different things and, and trying to keep a job and keep working. 
if they were to allow us to have disability income and whatever it may be and still work a job now what does that turn into well you know some people are going to work basic jobs maybe part-time job because it's all they can do because that's all their condition allows them to do because it's you know maybe their energy limits you know everyone's dealing with different situations mm -hmm. or what they can do and there's some people that can't work and you know what they deserve to be able to stay at home because they're dealing with so much stuff i, mean, I can't even necessarily understand all you know what they feeling and going through but for those of us that can work it gives us the ability to grow something and it's like okay you know what here's for the difficulty it is in getting that competitive job like you have a master's degree and you can't even get a job related to the degree that you spent all this money on getting they should be all right well you know what here's some money you can pay your medical expenses you can pay your rent you can go get another job you can put it into growing a business and if they allowed us to do that, I think the government in turn would get more taxes back off of it. You know, if they paid you disability and then you go start a company, the company makes a bunch of money, you know, you got to pay your, your taxes on it. Or if you go get a really good job, then, you know, maybe you get to the point where you don't need it or, you know, you're paying more back into the economy based off of, you know, finding that job. But a lot of us just need that little bit of a buffer mm -hmm. because the average American can't handle a $1,500 expense, regardless of if they're disabled or have a health condition, on top of the fact that, you know, a lot of us that have health conditions, it's either one, we have a ton of expenses on top of it from medication and tests that we're constantly running, or two, our condition is drastically limiting, limiting us from our earning potential in the proper career that we might normally be able to do if this, you know, wasn't a barrier. I live in the cheapest place in my town because it's all I can avoid. Yep. And it's and it's it sucks because I have the knowledge and I have the know how to be living in a much nicer place. But because of my situation, because the government refused to help me out, I'm some months I have to ask people to help me with rent. And as a 37 year old, that's embarrassing to me. Oh, yeah, no, I, I can I can understand that. It's it's a challenge. I mean, I have a, I have a 40 hour a week job and, and there are definitely times where it's like, okay, you know, do, do I go get this, this medical test done? Cause you know, can I afford to get it done? Or there's a lot of people across the communities where it's like, okay, do they, do they get their medication this month or do they skip it? Or I've heard, especially in the, in the colitis and Crohn's community, because some of the medications are so expensive you know, some people take a pill every other day as opposed to daily like they're supposed to because they can't afford mm -hmm. the medications on a day-to-day -day basis. Or like myself, I'm on Remicade. I get a Remicade infusion every six weeks. Before my insurance kicks in, that Remicade infusion is $8,000 every six weeks. And that's on the wow. low end. There are, there are some places in the U.S. where the Remicade infusions can be twenty dollars to $25,000 in infusion based on their area and if they get it done at a hospital. And the normal person gets it every eight weeks. That's over $100,000 a year if you don't have insurance. And I didn't, I didn't ask for colitis. They didn't ask for Crohn's. You know, there's, there's these astronomical expenses. And 
I'm thankful I have good insurance because I work for the government. Um, so I have really good insurance that covers a lot of it, but I still meet my out-of-pocket every year, which is about $4,000. That's an extra expense. And there's still, you know, medications on top of that, co-pays for all the tests. And people just, they just don't realize how expensive it is to have a disability or chronic illness. And on top of, oh, hey, by the way, we don't, oh, you miss too many days. So you can't get that job that you're qualified to get that would pay twice as much as you make now. But you miss, uh, you miss two or three extra days every quarter that we just can't allow. Like it's too many days. So you're going to have to stay in the position that you're in. Or, you know, you really can't communicate that well with our customers. So we're not going to bump you up to a manager. You're just going to stay as a normal, normal sales floor associate because, you know, there's, there's just a barrier there that we can't work with. And it's, it's so dumb because the knowledge and, and know-how is there, but they're, they're picking people that are less knowledgeable, you know, have less experience because, oh, they don't have a disability. They're, they're more reliable is what we're going to, we're going to call it, you know? So a couple months ago, I got some, I got to get some of the money from some friends and I was able to uh, get a psychologist to help my mental health. Once that ran out, I had to say goodbye to my mental health council because I could not afford the services. And mm. see, I don't have health insurance because I can't afford it. So I haven't been loved by my doctor in years. Yeah, and that's... That's the problem that a lot of people face. Yeah. It really, really sucks. And that's and that's what a lot that's what a lot of people in the US are dealing with. They they don't have the finances to fix and to work with the conditions that they have. Like, you know, some conditions where if you're not on your medication, well, you're in a full flare-up. Well, if you're in a full flare-up, you can't work. Cause you're, you're bedridden all day. You're, you're stuck in bed or the pain is too much to handle. So God forbid you have to go somewhere and work. Oh, but because you can't work, you can't get insurance. Well, you can't get insurance. You can't get the medication you need. And it just creates this never ending cycle of, of not getting taken care of. And a lot of the time when conditions are uncontrolled, um, if you do need medication on a regular basis or, you know, something physical therapy, a lot of the times those conditions can get worse and issues can compound on top of each other. Mm-hmm. So it's, I feel like across the entire community, both disabled, you know, chronic, those of us that struggle all across the board in the US, it really comes down to like, we just want cheaper, more accessible healthcare. That's all we need. I would do it. I would do anything to get my counsel back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do telehealth. Do I have an online counsel? I would do anything to get her back and to have our weekly sessions again because she was amazing. We worked through a couple of issues and she was amazing. And if I could have that again, I could 
Vogan so much moisture, but I can't avoid it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it comes back to you know how mental health is treated in the United States, and God forbid, you know, therapists or counselors are are part of you know affordable and accessible health care well i mean half of it's not even most of the time isn't even covered under health insurance when you have it so you have to pay out of pocket either way or they limit how often you can see somebody and it's just really and, really sad and it's not at all it's the company well mm-hmm. because she told me if she could she would see me but legally, with the company request, she cannot do that. Mm-hmm. They all had to pay the company's prices. And I hate that so much because mental health should be right. It should be right for every human being yeah. because it kills so many people every year. Especially, especially in our communities, you know, the, the, the suicide rate is much higher within the disabled and, and chronic community. Yes. And unfortunately, in the United States, like we have a we have a system in place where if you get to the absolute extreme, there's a phone number you can call. However, all the way up until that extreme, there is zero help. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you can afford it, you might get some help or, you know, sometimes you can find some groups on Facebook where it's not professional help, like some people definitely need, because, you know, we all deal with a ton of different things. I mean, life happens as it is, regardless if you have a disability or a chronic illness. So to top, you know, add on top of it, when you're dealing with a disability, like we all, we all go through a lot of stuff that we, we have to deal with. And a lot of the time it's just, Hey, internalize it, especially I mean, especially as a man, you know, God forbid we share our feelings on anything and actually have open conversations. Hey, not doing so great today. You know, how's everybody else doing? Like, it's just unacceptable in society, which is blows my mind. And I say it a lot, like in American society and culture, it is it is more acceptable to talk about the kinky things that you do in the bedroom than it is to talk about mental health. Like, Good for you. You had a cool, you had a hookup this weekend. Oh yeah. She's really attractive. That's good for you. Oh, oh, you're struggling with mental health. No, no, no. Oh, you were depressed this weekend. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to talk about that. Like go deal with your issues. And it just, it just blows my mind how twisted things are. Cause I think everybody, especially in the disabled and chronic community, everybody deals with mental health on some degree. And even, 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 you know, the average person, you know, if you lose a family member, somebody passes away, you know, you have a traumatic event that happens in your life, you, you, you struggle with it as well. And on top of it, you know, those of us that have these extra obstacles and kind of barriers that we have to deal with and adapt to on a regular basis, it puts a lot of, a lot of stress on our mental health. And then on top of that, you know, lack of accessibility to services that would drastically help our lives. It just adds to it. Like, man, am I not worth a little bit of money so I could reach my full potential or just, just have a functional life. Like I just want to reach 80% of my full functionality. Like, let me just go, go see that doctor. Let me talk to that therapist or, but God forbid, God forbid. Right. Uh, I, I, I am, I will say I am thankful. I am on what is called the maintenance plan. 
So what that means is one day a week, I can text with my counsel. That's it though. One day a week to respond to my text messages. But oh, that's man. It. I mean that's it. Okay. So I'm I'm still connected in a sense, but just, just a it's little not bit. the same. It's no. not the same. No, and and for a lot of things and, and a lot of issues and, and it's, you know, part of why I host the podcast, there's a lot of things where you have to have that more intimate connection and conversation around because it's, it's an important subject. You know, I can shoot a text to, to anyone and say, Oh, Hey, how was your day? Oh, that really sucks. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But when you really want to get to the root of issues, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of unpack them and have a conversation around them and have this mm-hmm. level of understanding and, and open and good communication. And I talk about it a lot because I think within our communities, there's this automatic level of understanding because we've both been through some stuff. Is it the exact same thing? No, I talk about it a lot. I think we all deal with 70 to 80% of the same experiences. And then 20 to 30% of what we deal with our experiences unique to us in you know, our conditions. And I say that because, you know, talking about the the financial aspect of it, you know, the mental health aspect of it, a lot of us struggle with it. And then there's things unique to like, you know, colitis, for example, I deal with diet restrictions and stress management for my condition. Stress directly affects colitis in your digestive tract. Whereas, you know, cerebral palsy has some other things that you personally have to deal with that I don't have to deal with, but we automatically relate on that 70 to 80% of, hey, you know, we got to deal with those doctor's expenses that nobody wants to cover that we have to fight to try to get. And, you know, if we don't have the money to have to do, we have to forego. And it's, it's really frustrating. And I'm thankful that we have, at least in the DLC, we have a really good community. And I, I think that support is, is helpful to a lot of members in it. And I think the Diversability Facebook page as well is incredibly helpful for a lot of people because a lot of those Facebook pages are not as resourceful um and and aren't as open to you know communication and back and forth but yeah there's there's a lot of issues to address and i'm hoping that the more of us that kind of open up and talk about this the more serious it'll be taken and the more people will pay attention to it like hey you know what maybe we need to put some more resources into the disabled community because you know what they're they're struggling with enough as it is let's let's give them a little break Let's help them a little financially. Let's give them some extra, you know, resources, both for mental health and, and you know, maybe financially. And, and let's, let's give them a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm having to look for loans and stuff. And it, it really sucks because my, my family, I was adopted. I was adopted in a military family. My mom and dad both of them on me, but I twenty four years. They did that the good work. And we retired down here in Florida, which is where I am in Tampa, Florida. And they, we we lived we lived a decent life and they have pushed me to be where I am today. And they have these they have these ideas and these 
they started living that I'm used to. And me being not able to live up to that and not being able to match what they want for me is hard for me mentally. Yeah, yeah. Like, like right now, between you and I, um, it's, it's hard for me to go home and visit them because I want to be like, hey guys, look, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm financially independent. I'm doing awesome. But in all actuality, it's a struggle and it's, it's embarrassing to have to I have to face that with them because I don't wanna I don't want them to think like that. Yeah. Do you yeah. know and, what I mean? No, and 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 you know, something like that too, it's it's sad because it's it's you have all the qualifications to have that amazing job, and it's not like you're doing anything wrong. Like hell, you got a master's degree, you know, and you and you you switched careers, you tried a ton of different things. It's, I think a lot of the times, you know, we need to have the, um, the ADA expanded in certain areas. And I think things need to get added on ever extra levels of protection or extra levels of accommodation because when, you know, when someone like yourself is that qualified and still struggling, that's, that's just proof that the system's broken fundamentally, because it's not like you're not willing to go get a job. It's not like you're not willing to learn a new skill. You know, you have a master's degree, you're, you're going back to school for another degree and for more, you know, more technical know-how in, in your field and still struggling. That's just, that's a broken system. And I, I don't, I don't think and, personally that reflects negatively on you. It's just the system hasn't, it needs to change. It needs to update and it needs to catch up to, you know, the conditions that people have nowadays. And what really said that I'm not the only one dealing with this. Oh no, there's thousands, thousands of people that go through this, tens my, of thousands. My story, my story is not unique, says the. And that's. That's the unfortunate part. And that further proves that the system that we have here and what's valued in the U.S. culture-wise and especially in, in the workforce is just fundamentally broken. And, uh, and it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely something that's I think is going to change. And I think with more people talking about it, it's, it's pushing the drive for change. But unfortunately, that does take time. So... <clears throat> Right. A lot of heavy stuff. A lot of heavy oh, stuff, hey. man. Look, I've gone yeah. through. I've gone through everything on the podcast. So one of the things I did the first, I think it was like twelve or fifteen episodes. I covered every area of my life and how it was affected by colitis, from you know social life, work life, dating, the financial side of it, and and mental health was a really, really, really heavy one. Um, so yeah, we we used to have some heavy conversations on the podcast, and I think it's I think it's important because we all have those moments, and for all of us, you know, there's those dark 
days that we go through and and it's a struggle and unfortunately you know among our communities there's some people that don't make it past those dark days Mm -hmm. um and i think that's one of the you know the important parts of us sharing what we go through and one of the things i say a lot is you know pain puts things into perspective and that perspective can give us a purpose and part of that is you know for those of us that are struggling now and and still pushing forward there's there's something to learn on the end of it. It might be a might be a rough rough ride while we're dealing with it, but looking back once we make it past, I think one you know I'm, I'm definitely proud of some things I've made it through, and I'm sure other people are as well. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it is it can be a struggle while you're going through it. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're working on it. We're working on change. It's a, it's a progress, and I think more it's and more slow, people are pushing but, it. It's slow, but we're making change little by little. Yep. And that's, I mean, I'm trying to make change one story at a time because there's like, like we said, there's thousands of other people that have incredibly similar stories that are going through the same thing. And I think the more of us that, that talk about it, the more people can say, Hey, look, it's not just a couple people. It's tens upon hundreds upon thousands of people. And we need to do something about it. So, anything else you want to touch on? Yes, actually, okay. this this is totally different subject, but I I feel like we don't talk about this issue enough, and that's sexuality within the disabled community. See, I'm I'm gay. I'm a gay man, and you think you're being disabled to try being gay and disabled. That's a whole nother nightmare. Um, it's hard enough dating as it is. Yeah, no, I can I can agree with that. Dating is a dating is yeah. a nightmare in general when you have a any sort of condition. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Let alone if you're. That's. It 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 stuns me. How how many people assume that because I'm disabled that I'm not sexual. And it it really stuns me about that. Um. They think that because we have something wrong with our voices and our muscles that we don't think about sex or having sex time or anything like that. And that is so often true. And in the gay community, Disability is never, never talked about. Never talked about in the community, and it really sucks. That's, you know, it's an interesting point that you bring up because, I mean, I guess as the LGBTQ community as a whole preaches a lot about acceptance and, and you know being open to people and their you know their sexuality and, and their preferences. So I find it very interesting that that community as a whole 
isn't really open a ton to the disability aspect of it. I mean, you know, personally as a, as a straight male, I can't say that I have a ton of experience with that. And with an invisible disability, I, I do have the choice of disclosing whether I have a disability or not. You know, if I'm just going for like a friends with benefits versus a relationship, um, and I do definitely see the difference where, you know, if I talk about my disability, it's much larger barrier than if I'm just, you know, just, just for a hookup, doesn't really matter. You know, I'm not, you don't need to know that I have colitis for a hookup and I kind of get away with that. So it's, it's interesting that especially that community would, I guess, not necessarily gatekeep, but and, and discriminate in a way, even though. <laughs> They're the ones that are usually discriminated on and, and preach against it. I'm very part of Grindr, right? Mm-hmm. Lab Grindr? Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, those of you who don't know Grindr is a great, great hookup app. Yep. And I used to be on that app, and I have guys message me, and... We start talking and we get along. I would say I have a disability. Are you okay with that? They'll be like, yeah, that's no problem. And then we'll talk to more and then they're like, let's talk on the phone. Uh, I'll be like, okay, just remind you, I have a speech impediment. They're like, okay, no problem. So I'll call them. I'll say, hello, how are you? Click. They hang up on me and block me and find her. And that happens time after time after time again. And I get harassed and I get so much bullied on apps like that because I don't fit the gay guy stereotype. That's, that's so, that, that, I mean, I can't say I have a ton of interactions in, in those communities because I don't personally fall in them, but it, it does. That's very interesting because, you know, the, those are some of the first communities that are usually preaching for inclusion and, you know, not to be judged for what they're into or how they yep. look or how they act or dress, you know, especially, you know, men and women on both sides, regardless of their orientation. So it's very interesting. Well, well, it's okay. We don't judge as long as you fall in this stereotype. As but soon as you're outside of this. Like you, you need to go make your own gay community. That's because you're disabled. Like that's, yeah. that's very, that's very it's interesting. Up. That's the level of hypocrisy there to want to be yeah. treated the same as everybody else, because you, you know, of your, of your sexual orientation and then to discriminate against people that have the same sexual orientation because of a disability. That's just. I, I have a friend named Andrew Gerza. Andrew Gerza is a big disability advocate in Canada. He has cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair. 
and he speaks all over the country and he does a lot of advocacy things. And one of the things he talks about is how, how it's really bad for him that he actually has hired sex workers to come and have that in the time of them because people don't want to get to know him on an intimate level because they're scared of his disability. And that's sad. That's, this needs to be talked about and it's not being talked about. And I'm gonna be honest, you know, until, I mean, I've, I've talked about it briefly with a couple other people that have, you know, mildly visible disabilities you know people that may have a brace or something that's a little less obvious um and i've never personally experienced it because like i said you know invisible disability i can kind of choose when i tell people about it or not and i can you know on a good day i look like a fully functional person so it's not something i have to disclose but yeah that's that's a very interesting point because yeah everyone everyone has i mean well most people have a sex drive and, you know, they want to have that level of connection, whether it's just the physical aspect of it or, you know, growing a relationship and, and having an emotional connection to it as well. And it's, oh boy, the amount of things that, that we're limited to in the disabled community. And, and it's, it's interesting the more that we talk about it, because I'm, I'm, I mean, like I said, for the first time, I'm kind of learning about that level of gatekeeping within the gay community. Like I didn't need, I, that's, that's one of the last communities that I would think would gate, you know, would gatekeep just because they're all about inclusion, you know, being treated like a normal person. So, so all the fucking all the fucking books that I deal with, with being disabled, I had to add on this whole other aspect. And it's, it's like, why me? Why do I have to deal with all this? Bullshit yeah. in my life. It's not real. It's really not real. But if I am correct, did you 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 recently got into a relationship, right? Yes. I did yes. see that on Facebook. Okay. So so you were uh, you have you have found it's something. Been, it's been 13 years. Then I've had someone. Thirteen years. Of so you just okay. With, so you just got in a relationship, and before that, you know, it's been thirteen years since your last relationship. Jeez, and, that's a that's a long time. That is. And and it wasn't like I wasn't crying. Yeah. It's, it's like I was saying, I will get rejection after rejection on all those gay apps and people who I try to talk to in public, they see me and hear me and make assumptions. And it's like so hard for me to find intimacy. Yeah, and I've I've talked a little bit on it on the dating <coughs> aspect because I've been on a lot of the different dating apps for both, you know, relationships and, you know, hookups. 
Um, and I was actually talking about this in, in a previous episode I did today, recording wise. I would say the disclose rate. So, so I, I, I played around with it because I've been single for quite a while and most of my relationships have been more friends with benefits than, you know, functional relationships, which is a whole nother issue in itself. Um, I would say that there's about an 80% drop-off rate once you bring up a disability. And I say that as someone with an invisible disability that gets to choose when I bring up that I have a condition. And I say that at an aspect of, hey, you know what, I'm talking to a girl We've been talking three weeks, you know, two, three weeks, good conversations. Maybe we've met up a couple of times, gone out to eat or gone to the park, you know, gone on some date-like activities and, you know, conversations going good. You're connecting, hobbies are similar. I would say eight out of 10 times once we're at that level, bringing up that I have colitis or any form of, you know, medical condition or, you know, disability, because colitis is both chronic and, and a disability, eight out of 10 people talking to just ghost, they just bail out, completely bail mm-hmm. out. And those other two out of 10 usually fizzle off. You know, they're, they're not, they're not a horrible person where they're just going to drop you. They want to, you know, maybe talk some more and, and ease out of it and be, be nice about it and polite, you know, which at least respect more than just completely ghosting. But yeah, it's, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. Cause I've tested on like Tinder and a couple of the other dating apps, having a normal app that's like, Hey, I'm looking for a relationship. This is what I have. I have this condition you know, next to no matches. Nobody wants to talk to you versus, hey, I'm looking for friends with benefits. Here's what I'm into. Here's the fun stuff I do. Here's the kinky stuff I do on the side and boom, match, 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 match. Because I have that option of you know turning it on and off, which I mean, it's not, I'm not saying I want friends with benefits at this point. I definitely want an actual, you know, solid relationship that can grow into something. But yeah, yeah. Bringing up a disability in dating or even in hooking up the the rate at which people just automatically reject it blows my mind it blows my mind and in the level especially on, on the sexual side like not even taking the time to understand hey i'm still fully functional in the bedroom like you know my butt may be broken so maybe i'm not into certain things but hey you know, my dick still works. It didn't didn't fall off. It didn't magically disappear. Like it's, pieces are all still there. It still functions. And hell, you know, from what I can tell, it functions pretty well. So what's the <laughs> issue here? I don't know. I said disability, so it's it's automatically oh, it can't be it can't be that great. Like, oh, at the end of the day, I'm I'm gonna I'm let everyone know this. That's in the dating community. Think about this. We don't get as many opportunities in relationships or hookups. So we put in way more effort when we do get those opportunities. Just think about that. Before my guy, I hadn't had the hookup in 28 months. That's... I have I hasn't had any hugging, any cuddling, anything. Twenty-eight months. I was I was itching with something, man. 
And I mean, you want to talk about isolation. <laughs> like you can have a social life and you're, you're still missing that level of, you know, a more intimate kiss, hug, or, you know, actually making it to the bedroom. Like that's, that, that plays a lot into mental health because those kind of, those kind of connections and those kind of, you know, releases, they, they help a lot with different hormones and, and was it, endorphins that, that help a lot with your mental state as well. So it's just completely being isolated on all fields. Like that's, that's got to change. My brain, my brain and reverse with that touch starvation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. he had a whole tweet about being touched up. Yep. And yeah, I retweeted that like but no tomorrow. I'm like, me too. Yep. No, it's it's I mean, we, that's that's another campaign we can start <laughs> raising awareness about you know sexuality in the in the disabled space like hey i would love to i would love to start the campaign <clears throat> because so. it needs to be talked about mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not talked about at all and that's why i brought it up now because i have this opportunity hey so thank you Remember what I said. It's more acceptable to talk about the kinky stuff that you do in the bedroom than it is mental health. So, hey, we, we might have a platform to talk on here. More people be open to listening to it because they're used to talking about that stuff, right? Baby steps. We got to start with, with sexuality in the disability space. Then we can roll into mental health. Like, we'll, we'll ease them into it. <laughs> Since we're talking about sexuality and disability, I do want to plug something. Uh, my friend Andrew, who I've been talking about, him and his sister actually have created a sex toy line for disabled people and accessible sex toy line. Um, which is so awesome. They're creating products and prototypes of the different kinds of sex toys that can be enjoyed by people with mobility issues and stuff like that. So if you guys are interested, go to bumpin, get bumpin.com. G-E-T. B-U-P-B-U-M-P-N dot com. And I'll make sure That's to have that linked in the uh, the description as well. Okay. So we'll put all the links in the description to make it easier. I try to try to do that at the bottom of all the descriptions. Yeah. Um, I, I was actually a part of a couple of test groups where we, we discussed designs and I saw prototypes and gave my feedback. They're a really good company, and I'm trying to get their name out there because they're doing something that no one has done. Hey, find a need and fill a need. And I think talking about the isolation, that's that's definitely a way to uh, to counter some of it for sure. So do you have any other questions? 
about anything regarding me. Gone all over the place. Um, at this point, I don't think so. So if, if, if you want to wrap it up, we can go ahead and do that. I just don't know if I've been talking too much. Or oh, no, you're good. Or what? No, you're good. You're good. And, and I like you brought up some really good points at, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest in 74 episodes so far, um, haven't been brought up, which I like. So one of the big things that, you know, I try to focus on with the podcast is I get as many different people as I can with as many different conditions and disabilities, because one, I know about colitis. That's all I've really known about until I started the podcast. So it's, it's very informative for myself. And obviously if it's informative, for myself and I'm already in these communities it's definitely informative for other people and I think going forward you know I want to start doing some group podcasts and some more targeted focuses when it comes to the areas that I'm going to start you know advocating for it's really good things to bring up um I definitely have some of those questions for certain communities um and I never really thought about you know both being gay in the disabled community and dating, um, as well as, I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've touched on the sexuality aspect of it before in a couple episodes, but I do want to have maybe a couple group episodes focusing on it. And it allows me to be creative and kind of maybe come up with some campaigns for the sexuality aspect of it. Cause it is, I am working on a couple different campaigns for just advocacy in general. And, those are, those are some of those things like finding a unique way to emphasize the benefits of, you know, someone with a disability in the sexuality side of it or in, in the dating side of it and a couple other things I'm working on too. So no, no, I appreciate you coming on and kind of giving the unique perspective, which is why I say I don't try to have any set questions because everybody has their own things that they focus on and their own experiences. And it's, it's really cool to get that perspective and kind of, I guess, think and ruminate about the information that I get, especially new information, which I'm always learning something new on these podcasts, which is what I love about it. I guess if it's okay, there is one more thing I'm going to talk about joyful party wise. Yep. Go for it. Um, so uh, there's a lot of research uh, with kids and having dribble party, mm-hmm. but the research kind of visits out uh, with adults and CP. Um, so a couple a couple weeks ago, I was doing research. And I found that some interesting things, and I started relating it back to my life. And last night, I had a friend make a post on Facebook relating the same information I found. Mm-hmm. So it, it just reaffirmed uh, what I've been seeing. And that is that. People in the medical community have been saying that cerebral parts is non-progressive, that it doesn't get worse over time. But what I have found on night 
And what I have noticed within myself, my I'm in my middle age thirties. Oh my God, I cannot believe I'm oh. already almost forty. I'm getting I'm getting close but to the three hours. So. Anyhow, um, I'm noticing my energy level is dwindling. That my my much I'm not able to walk nearly as far as I used to, and I I really don't think that the school that is non-progressive because. I've noticed slowly over the years, I'm not able to do what I used to be able to do. And I just find that very interesting that I had a friend last night, we confirmed what I researched a couple of weeks ago, and it's ringing out to be true. <laughs> do you have any advice on that? So I've talked to a couple of people with cerebral palsy and actually a couple of people this week. And one of the girls that I talked to, she is 20. She's got actually a fairly large TikTok following, almost 110,000 people where she educates people on, you know, cerebral palsy and some simple things. Um, her episode's actually coming out this Wednesday, but we were talking a little bit about it. And she was talking about how, over the years, she's had some more difficulty doing certain things in almost a progressive manner. And I'm pretty sure, I, I know I talked to, I think one or two people last year where that was also a similar thing where it is mild progressive symptoms over the years, which I think when you're living with something for such a long period of time can be something that you kind of overlook because a lot of the time we think about progressive symptoms, you think about like a terminal illness that progresses incredibly fast. And, you know, there's obvious changes over a short period of time. And it wouldn't surprise me if progressive, well, symptoms and I guess, you know, um, reactions happen but because it's something that you're born with, that you live with your entire life, I'm curious if those progressive aspects get lumped into just the category of aging in general. And I don't ever say, oh, nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know, God forbid, why would the doctors possibly be wrong? Because I've had plenty of doctors that, you know, they tell you one thing, they, something completely else happens. Um, and I say that because I've definitely noticed some unique things with my body that don't necessarily line up with colitis and, and from some of the conversations we've had. So is it the possibility that it, that it is progressive? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Nobody knows our bodies better than we do. And I think if you know, you're, you're saying that there's the possibility of it. I've definitely had some other people come on and say, you know, they feel like that's the direction it's heading, but there's no necessarily science or doctors don't agree with it in that aspect. I would start personally keeping track of it. I mean, I keep track of all of my colitis symptoms, for example, I'm mostly in my head because it's, you know, part of my day-to-day -day life. And I think you could, you could necessarily agree with that. You know, what's normal for your cerebral palsy. 
you know, what's expected. And when something comes out of the blue, like, hey, that wasn't a problem before. Why is this a problem now? You, you know it because you know your body. I mean, you're 37. You've been living for 37 years with cerebral palsy. It's not like something magically comes out of the blue. Like, you know, it's just you have your routine, you have your normal for your condition. So I would say definitely keep track of it and bring it up more often. And I say that because bringing things up that might seem small, the more often you bring it up, it, it can become more of a normal conversation. Um, and I say that just because of how many small things I've learned, both about myself from talking to other people and just things I wouldn't think to notice. I mean, hell, the other day I was talking to a lady and she said, you know, one of her conditions made it so she never got a fever over 101. And I'm going to be honest, since I got colitis, I've never had a fever over 101 because dehydration and fevers are a common thing with colitis because you're going to the bathroom more. So it's, it's small things like somebody says it, then you start to think about it and you're like, hey, you know what? That makes sense. So I, I could believe it because I think at the end of the day, nobody knows our bodies better than ourselves. And if you're saying, hey, 37 years, I've never had a big problem. These have always been things that never been an obstacle. And now magically out of nowhere... I'm having trouble doing this. I didn't have trouble doing this I at all. Did, and then boom. I did find it very strange that prevented me to post by the last night reconfirming what I learned a couple weeks ago. I find it very, very weird. I mean, if you look at how much medicine has changed just in the past 10, 15, 20 years. Look at conditions now that didn't exist 10 years ago. Look at some of the rare conditions where it was just in people's heads. And now they're actual conditions that can actually be diagnosed. So when, when you think about it in that aspect, just because it hasn't been the normal for cerebral palsy to be progressive, maybe they just haven't been paying attention to it enough. I mean, you were even saying, you know, the studies as you get older, they pay attention to it less and less. So it's something that'd be easy to overlook because they're not looking, you know, doctors aren't looking at it. And I talk about it a lot, you know, as patients and as individuals with these conditions, we have an incredible amount of knowledge living with the conditions that doctors don't understand because they don't physically live with it themselves. They haven't experienced it themselves. So something like, hey, you know, something being mildly progressive versus aggressively progressive is, is a completely, you know, a completely logical option that might have just been overlooked. I mean, hey, you think about, look at colitis. Colitis is a super studied and, and super well-known disease, Crohn's and colitis. And between 1990 and 2015, the diagnosis rate went up 0.5% in the US because they were actually properly diagnosing it. And what used to be, oh, it's just a stomach bug. Now we have irritable bowel syndrome. We have all these different, you know, digestive conditions because they're, they're paying attention to it. And I think cerebral palsy can be the exact same way. You know, more people pay attention to it. Oh, hey, by the way, look, there's these mild progressive symptoms you need to be aware of as you hit this age or as, as you go towards here and here you might start to experience this and this. It's mild. It's not necessarily, you know, progressive like ALS or some of, you know, cancers or some of the really bad conditions. But I think it's, it's definitely feasible. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't write it off. I would definitely keep track of it and just pay a little more attention to it because 
Well, I am. I, I just found it very interesting. So I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, no, I, I tell everybody, you know, if, if you think there's something behind it, we know our bodies better than anybody else. So there's probably some legitimate aspect to it. And, you know, if you're not the only one saying it and people are starting to question it, well, the more people that question it, the more people keep track of it and the more key people that keep track of it. Well, now it's now it can be a study. Now it can be a, you know, a group that's okay. We have a sample size of this. This many people say they were experienced it. They range from this age. This is you know, what they experience and tracked. So no, no, I, I would say definitely, definitely keep an eye on that. And, and I would look at, cause I've, I'm pretty sure Lacey definitely talked about it. Should listen to the, the episode that's coming out on Wednesday. Cause I'm pretty sure we went over some of her conditions getting worse and like her ability to walk. I know, I know Lacey. Lacey, yep. Rich Creek. Yep. 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 Oh she, my God. Yep, she was on. Yeah, she's gonna be out. Yep, she was. She was one of the first people that I actually interviewed after posting on all the all the things. She was one of the first people that scheduled up, and she's gonna be her episodes out on this Wednesday at nine a.m. Eastern. She's awesome. I love Lacey. No, she's she was she was fun to talk to. See, I I, I love talking to all the people. I meet some amazing people through the podcast and and through diversity as well. So. But, yeah, I'm happy you got one. Yay. So, yeah, and I had, I had a person earlier today, too. It's funny because I find on the podcast, when people schedule, I get, like, little groups of people that have the same conditions. Like, when I first started the podcast last year, I had a bunch of people that had Elder's Danlos Syndrome and Dysautonomia. There was just a, just a little group of them, and they all scheduled around the same time. It was really, really interesting. And I just say that because I had Lacey... I had somebody earlier on today, and then I have yourself that all have cerebral palsy, which it's, it's, it's cool to kind of get the different perspectives all at the same time as well. Um, but yeah, no, no, she was fun to talk to. She was really fun to talk to. And I, I didn't realize she had such a, such a TikTok following either too. So it's really cool talking to someone that has that kind of a following and, and to see, you know, what she's doing. I have, I have about 52K. I'm at, I'm at 86 followers, I think. I followed you. I did. I saw that, and so I'm I'm working on it. I got a bunch of bunch of skits that I'm going to be working on. I actually have right there is a doctor's like coat (laughs) for some skits I want to do. You can post you you can post snippets of the podcast on TikTok. That's that's so that's one of the things I'm working on as well. I have episode highlights that I do. Nice. I've been working on. So I have, I have some from it, but the goal is I want to have 15 to 20 episode highlights for every single one that I have, which takes a while because some of the episodes are wow, quite okay. a while. Um, but I have a template that I use that allows me to have my podcast banner background. It has the audiovisual waveforms, you know, little waves that go up and down as people talk, mm-hmm. and then allows me to have editable, editable text to whatever the episode name is, and then I can just drop the clips in. So I made kind of a template to make it super mm-hmm. easy. So that, those are some of the resources that I was talking about that I want to share. Like once I have the resources and templates set up, I want to share them with the DLC so other people that have podcasts can easy drop the templates in and upload the pictures. And I want to make That's like how-to videos. So. Yeah, no, I'm working on a ton of that stuff. And that's, that's part of why, you know, I put probably, I mean, now I'm putting 40 to 60 hours a week into this. So, wow. 
Yep. On top of a 40 hour a week job. Well, I thank you so much for having me on. No, I, I appreciate you. That. I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate the, the unique, unique viewpoints that you bring in that now I have to go. I mean, I'm going to have to go look into some of these things now and start, start researching it and maybe have some uh, specific conversations in the DLC about it. So if you would like to have my back, I'd love to come back sometime. Oh, I'm always down. I have a ton of people that reschedule. Let's go ahead. But no, I appreciate you coming on. As always, thank you for stopping by and listening to the episode. Make sure you guys head over to thebeardedadvocate.com to show your support. It's got all the links to all the other social media platforms, which I'm creating a ton of new content on that I'm sure you guys would love to watch and hopefully in the future be a part of. So thank you, as always, and have a good one.